listening to your body, giving yourself space. And then also, I think a a big thing in getting started is just, you know, beginning to have the thoughts that can turn into beliefs that something else is possible, that it does not have to be this way. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. As always, I'm so grateful that you're listening. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about a topic that I think is so relevant to many, many people. And I imagine it's going to be relevant to you. I have my good friend, Shandrea Brown, joining me on this episode. And she is a two-time survivor of burnout. And now she helps other people manage and prevent and address burnout. And so she has a lot of wisdom to share on what contributes to burnout, as well as things that you can start doing to get out of burnout. I think one of the reasons we've seen so many people leaving their jobs and shifting their lives is because they're burned out. Some of that is due to work dynamics, systemic dynamics, societal things. But I think people are feeling exhausted and burned out. And so I'm so glad to talk with Chandra about this today and talk about some of the interconnections between burnout and self-worth. I know that you're going to find this episode incredibly valuable. Valuable. So be sure to listen to the end. And as always, I'd so appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and a review and let us know what you think. Let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. I am so incredibly excited to introduce you to my good friend, Shandrea Brown, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about her. So Shandrea is a burnout preventionist, data whisperer, and connector of dots. She has literally spent nearly half of her earthly life in data engineering, data analytics, and data visualization professions, and she regularly geeks out on all things project management. Her professional experience spans a variety of industries, including healthcare, manufacturing, retail, and government. As a two-time burnout survivor, Shandrea is also deeply, deeply passionate about letting anyone who will listen know that there is another way. Burnout does not have to be your modus operandi. Shandrea specifically specializes in helping big-hearted, purpose-driven change makers and entrepreneurs define, design, and strategically walk out an intentional work in life of alignment impact, ease, and flow. So I know Shandrea from our years together in the dance ministry at Trinity United Church of Christ. And I have always been drawn to Shandrea's warm, positive energy. She is just somebody that you want to be around. And I'm so grateful to have her as a friend and now as a business bestie. And I know that she just has so much wisdom to share about burnout, which is such an important topic that is on the top of everyone's minds these days because so many of us are struggling with burnout. 
And so I know she has a lot to share and a lot to contribute. So welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Hey, hey, girl. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you today? I'm well. It's it's nice. I, I, I see it. Um, words, I guess, of affirmation is something that I give a mm. lot. And I didn't realize, like, it's good. It's good to hear your flowers. Yes. You know, so yes. Take that. the flowers. I'm glad you're receiving them. <laughs> so I'm going to start our conversation as I start all of my podcasts with guests. And I would love for you to share a little bit about your own self-worth journey. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting. Um, It's been a process, but it's been a process that I would not have even defined as self-worth. I didn't I didn't realize that that was a root because like to me, healing and unlearning comes in layers and in different levels. And um, my original, once I realized that something was awry with regards to like value and worth, it came, it was a matter of figuring out self-esteem, right? And like, I thought I was like, I thought I was shy, um, not shy, I'm introverted, but I thought it was, it was more shy and it was like self-esteem. And actually you came in, um, meeting you came in the second part of that mm. because once, um, when that kind of came up, um, I'm, I think I was in my, like my mid thirties at that point, And I was like, this is ridiculous. I need to figure this type of thing out. And I remember we were at church and I can't remember if it was, um, the pastor from, um, Alfred street that came up, but they were talking about love or, um, Dr. Uh, uh, Reverend Freddie, but he, they were just talking about love, the importance of loving mm. yourself, loving yourself. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting there and I'm like, well, how do you do it? You know, what are you, you know, just thinking to myself, how do you do it or whatever? Because I was just like really like internally frustrated about all of that type of stuff. And I knew I did not like being seen. Mm. And it's it's something that I'm still working on with regards to just like my physical presence. I'm not necessarily happy with like my size. I would like to be a healthier size and I'm working on that. But um, I joined the drill team and I remember being on the drill team and we're practicing up in the annex and um, in the in that practice, there's a call and response, call and response. And so, you know, and a lot of times we're referencing scripture or they're um, just like sayings or whatever. And one of the things is two things that happened in this one practice. And it was like, you know, one was the verse about being God knowing us in our mother's womb. Right. And being fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and what stood out to me was like he knew me first, mm. you know, or whatever. I was like. You know, we, and you, when you were practicing, you keep repeating it. You keep repeating it, right? Um, so that was the first thing. And then later in that practice, I don't know if you remember how they just like, you know, who are we will be the call. And the response is like, we're God's black, you know, um, we're God's black queens, I believe. And then the next line was like, why do you expect a lot? And the response was, because I'm worth a lot. Mm. And I'm just, you know, just repeating it. And I'm like, I am, you know, or whatever. And so the the point of me like joining the drill team was because I knew I was afraid to be in, in front of people. And at the time, you know, our sanctuary would feel like twenty five hundred people per service, you know, and it's just like, you know, let me try this, you know, and I would have the bubble guts and all of that. But just it's really interesting, like embodying those words, because those words and those thoughts and those scriptures, it didn't really register initially. Like it took time to do that. And then I went from there, from drill team to dance. 
right? And with dance, it's like, and coming up, I grew up like in the holiness church or whatever, and really wasn't allowed to listen to worldly music or whatever. And um, so again, I'm in my 30s before I really uh, realized how much I enjoyed dance or whatever. And so I would take salsa and like hip hop and all of that type of stuff. And again, with the dance and listening like to the lyrics of the words. And for me, I would really try to get in the mindset of, you know, what the the artist is singing. You know, Marvin Sapp were some of my favorite songs, you know, um, and just how like you can embody those things or whatever. And so through those like three different phases, I went from realizing like, oh, okay, it's not shyness. It's it's not, okay, is it self-esteem? No, it's not self-esteem. It's more about God esteem. And then with God esteem, I really was able to flourish and really like owning that, you know, knowing who I am and whose I am. And God, you know, really, really helped me for years and years and years. And it wasn't until we were in your, in your apartment and you were doing your prep mm-hmm. for your TED Talk. And um, and this is the first time like we had heard it or whatever. And you were just like self-worth. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and to me, I think that self-worth is more on the lines of God has seen. But when you said it, I was like, this is it. This is it. So, mm. yeah. I love that response. I love <laughs> there's a few things. So one is you talking about using your faith in such a helpful way to get to a place mm. of mm-hmm. believing that you're worthy and sort of this interconnections between you know, scripture and repeating it and repeating these affirmations and allowing them to sink in and then sort of finding your sense of worthiness beyond what you do, beyond self-esteem, which I think is very outward. And for you, that was sort of connected to God and being a child of God and then sort of hearing my talk. Mm -hmm. And it was so fun to have you all over. I had a group of people over, group of friends over (laughs) to help me polish, finalize, practice my cultivating unconditional self-worth TEDx talk. And Chandrea was one of the people who helped and supported me. I think the other thing that came up for me as you were talking is your, you know, I see you as somebody who has a lot of courage, who dives headfirst into things that make you scared, right? Because you're sort of talking about, okay, so I don't like to be seen. So I'm going <laughs> to sign up for the drill team, right? And and not like, I'm going to serve in the back of the church where nobody can see me, but like, I'm going to force myself to go front and center to do this thing I don't oh. want to do, right? I also remember when you did the storytelling, you know, activity, you know, the improv. improv group where you had to sort of stand on stage and perform and just really sort of work through those fears. And I wonder what it is that helped you to sort of take those leaps, um, even though you were doing something that made you really uncomfortable, that was hard, that was scary. Listen, truth be told, you know, I'm doing it right now, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. And that's the thing when I think about um, in this last year, yeah, just over a year, moving into um, really dipping my toe into entrepreneurship. It's like it's been such a mental (laughs) game to get my mind right. And what I realized at one point is just like there also is like kind of fatigue with this process, you know, that I have to like kind of temper what I'm doing from an entrepreneur perspective, because it's like, yes, I would do these things that absolutely petrify me. Don't get it twisted. You know, like the outcome might be cool and like after the fact, but it's like physically like sick, physically, you know, um, and sick. And I don't know what that 
I don't know what that is about because fear, fear is something that I still deal with, but it's such an oxymoron because it's like, I know I can do hard things. I've done it. But, you know, I, I, you know, I, I try not to do it like all the time. So like I said, well, entrepreneurship being that this was a whole year of consistently like stretching myself because I don't want to, I mean, I, it was such a long time before I realized that I could, how much agency I had in building and creating the life that I mm. want. And it's like, I know I, I'm like, I can't, I can't stay still. You know, and it's so interesting because I figure physically sometimes like I'm feel like I'm being torn apart. Like I really want to go the opposite mm. direction, but I'm being pulled <laughs> in the other. So to answer your question, I have no idea. Maybe maybe it'll come to me <laughs> later, but I don't know how I do mm-hmm. it. But I know it's it's interesting and it cracks me mm. up to experience that and then to see myself doing mm. it. And the, but the good thing is the more and more that I do stuff that are like so outside my comfort zone. I just see how much um, like beauty it is in the journey. Mm. There's just so many lessons to be learned from that. And I I just grow more fuller and more colorful and just to who I am. And it just, it feels good and it hurts Mm. at the same time. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think if I, I, I felt like I was starting to hear you say that you, you do it in spurts, right? Like you don't, you know, like you don't like force yourself to like every day I'm going to public speak or every day I'm going to, you know, and it, Mm -hmm. and I think that's so healthy because I think sometimes people feel like Mm -hmm. if I'm on a journey of growth, I have to be on that journey on 10 all the time. And it's exhausting and we can't, we cannot do that. Right. And so taking breaks, right. Intentionally engaging Mm -hmm. and then taking time away Mm -hmm. to care for ourselves. I feel like that's something you are a really good model of. And, and we'll talk more about that when we get into the burnout. And I think the other thing Mm -hmm. with just, if I'm thinking about things I've observed you do is that you also very intentionally seek out structure and support, right? Like you are not someone who is like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and that means I'm going to be a solopreneur and I'm just going to do it all by myself. And you're like, I'm in this women's black women's leadership group and we're meeting and I'm getting mentorship and support. I signed up for this course or program and I'm getting mentorship and support or I'm taking this or I'm joining, Mm -hmm. you know, the drill team and there's support there. So it also seems like you're thoughtful about entering spaces that provide support structure to help you grow so that you're not just out there doing it on your own by yourself. And that's interesting because initially, like you mentioned, the the drill team and dance with those two, those weren't even intentional things to put support. I was just like, okay, I'm absolutely petrified to be seen. I prefer to hide that looks, oh, you know what it is, Adia, a part of it? My exploriousness. Mm. The fact that I am like insatiably curious <laughs> as well. And that might be what, <laughs> what, what wins. And it's, yeah, I wonder if that's part mm-hmm. of it. Oh, Shandrea, you are one of the most curious people I know. You ask the best questions. You and <laughs> you ask thought-provoking questions, like really good questions. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. I think that wins. And yeah, even when I think about my values, like, uh, well, I combine like a, a explore, exploration and curiosity into like one value. 
And that's like my second value, mm. you know, when I think about like what's core to me, you know, to, to not only like to me, curiosity is like observing like, hmm, I wonder, but the exploration is dipping my toe in the water mm. and going mm-hmm. into it. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I really yeah. want to talk with you about, since it's an area of expertise, is burnout. And I'd love for mm-hmm. you to share how you conceptualize burnout and also like how it showed up in your life, right? So you name yourself as a two-time burnout survivor. So I'd love to hear both, like, what's your definition of burnout? And then what did that look like in your own life? What were the signs that you were burned out? Yeah, it's really interesting. So like from just like a high level definition, I would define burnout as just like um, chronic, chronic exhaustion. And that's um, to, in simple terms, just like chronic exhaustion, right? Um, that in, from my understanding, it can manifest in multiple ways, both physically, emotionally, and behaviorally, mm. right? And it's real interesting as I was just like reflecting on the, this journey, right? So the first time... I uh, went through burnout. I remember, and that's interesting. I actually might see the young lady later today. Um, I remember going to a 40th birthday party, a friend of of my professor's uh, daughter out in the suburbs. And so it's a long drive on Naperville. And it was a house party. So, you know, and I'm in a corner because, you know, I'm introverted too, shop, whatever. So I'm in a corner. I'm on the wall. Uh, we were on high boy chairs. Me and her sister-in-law were on just high boy chairs and um, talking. That's the thing. You know how I'll have deep conversations mm-hmm. <laughs> anywhere, right? And so I don't know what we were, how we got on the topic, but we were just discussing, um, I guess she had recently, she had recently um, ha- hired a personal organizer come in and organize her home. And I was thinking like, wow, how can you afford that? Because at the time, like I had already like kind of started looking into that. It was like $150 an hour, right? And it takes a while to do that. And I'm like, you know, I live in an urban area and I didn't know if like one would come to mm-hmm. me and all that type of stuff. And I, but what came and I was like, man, I would need to organize my home in order to bring <laughs> in an organizer or whatever. And so, but what came out of my mouth was, what inspired you, you know, to get a, uh, a personal organizer? And she's like, oh, you know, um, I was having surgery and her husband and I, my husband and I just wanted to, you know, have the home in a certain place. And I remember sitting there, music just jamming or whatever. And we we're on the high boy and I paused for a second. I was like, huh, what surgery can I mm. have so that I can get a break? Mm. Right. Mm. So, um, and I don't, you know, we continue talking, you know, I'm, I'm chair dancing, whatever. And so at any rate, I'm headed back home on, on 55. And like I said, it's about an hour drive. And I remember, you know, just passing like Ashland, that Target or whatever on Ashland I'm driving. And I'm like, wait a minute. The fact that having major surgery for a break mm. even crossed my mind, I'm like, this is a problem. Mm. This I'm like, I don't know what this is. Cause I had been saying burnout and like, you know, I wouldn't say at the, you know, uh, I wasn't sure if I understood exactly what it is or whatever. And I'm like, I've been saying this, but I don't know if that's what it is. So I got home and I started, you know, researching or whatever. And I came across uh, one of the vis- videos that really resonated with me was a TED talk by Dr. Jerry Paleo. Mm. And she equated, or she's, 
she was uh, mentioning like similarities between per- burnout and PTSD mm. or whatever. But just like the insight and like the way things showed up, because I know like like at work um, or and like the personalities that typically mm. um, are prone to burnout, like your, your type A, very detail oriented, the helpers. Mm-hmm. And that's why like I'm passionately drawn to like change makers and purpose driven people, because it's just like oftentimes we're putting we might not realize that we're just putting ourselves on the back burner, but like we're serving from an empty cup mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but the fact that in, in a couple of years after that, so this is, I think this, the original um, bout of burnout might've been like 2015, 2016. And I remember there was just so much shame to that because mm-hmm. I, all I knew was that like, I felt like I could not keep up mm-hmm. with work, right? And it was taking me forever to do stuff. All of these things were signs according to like the research I've done and Dr. Jerry Paleo, apathy, you know, anger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, it was just so, so insightful. And it was so insightful to the point where, you know, I'm a sharer anyway, you know, I can't keep a good thing to myself. And so, but I remember like watching this video and doing the research and I'm like, I think I have to share this with my director, right? From a perspective, like, I think I see other people that might Mm. be dealing with this as well, you Mm. know, or whatever. And um, just like the long-term effects of it, like the health effects Mm. of having this chronic stress built up in your body or whatever. And so I remember I, um, you know, I went to my director and I was like, you know, do you have a couple of minutes to talk? You know, again, another point where I was very afraid, but it's just like, I can't, I can't not say something, you know, or whatever. And, you know, I told him what I had learned or whatever. And he was like, oh, you know, how can I support you or whatever? And I was like, you know what? Can you just listen to this? Mm. Can you just listen to the, you know, whatever? Because I didn't want him to do necessarily do anything. Because one of the things I realized is, you know, like I said, I had more agency than I thought Mm. in the situation. Um, Realizing that change is a big factor in burnout as well when change is being brought on you to you. So like in this, in these pandemic times, Mm. you know, a lot of people, it's more prevalent in like everybody, you know, is dealing with this. Um, But what I did with that first bout of burnout, like I said, healing happens in layers and levels. And in retrospect, looking back, I realized what the root, the level that I had gotten to at that point was my time, Mm. right? My time. And so the lesson that I learned in the experiment that I did was I was like, okay, let me look at my, my, my responsibilities or whatever for the day. And this was just like kind of revolving work. And I realized I had like 20 to 22 hours of meetings on my calendar a week, right? And they would be all over mm. the place. And the thing about it is I'm a knowledge worker, right? So I'm programming, or I'm doing analysis and all of that type. That takes deep cognitive work and mm-hmm. energy, right? And just seeing that when I, um, and I'm a visual person as well. So I both use post-its and my calendar, like, and just like added the stuff up. And I was like, no wonder, mm. you know, no wonder why. And so from that, I was really um, adamant and conscious about like I started bunching like tasks together. I started determining whether or not meetings were really necessary for me to attend or, you know, grouping things together. And that really helped for a while. But then there was a second. Um, mm. But I'll stop here mm. in case you have any Yeah, I mean, I think it's so helpful that you're sort of describing this sort of chronic exhaustion. You're mentioning that there are some mm-hmm. real consequences you know, this example Mm -hmm. of considering surgery, I don't think that's so uncommon, right? I think 
a lot of people get to a place where they're like, if I could get into an accident that wouldn't kill me, but then I'd be on bed rest and I, I wouldn't, that. right? Like people have this, I have conversations with clients, right? Who are sort of like, what's the escape? I'm so overwhelmed. I need an escape. And something, surgery, and I think we live in a world, and thankfully it's it's shifting, where there's just an ex- yes. expectation that you go, go, yes. go, go, go all the time. And mm-hmm. I think especially in the U.S., you need to sort of have a reason for taking a break, right? You need a, mm-hmm. oh, I've been so exhausted. It's been such a busy, so I'm going to take a vacation, right? Like, and it's just going to be a week, right? And I'm going to stay on my email, right? There's this sense of constantly working. And, I, you know, I contrast that. I, I studied abroad in Chile, and that's, you know, a country that has a siesta. Every day, every weekday, everything shuts down for two oh. hours. <laughs> two hours. It's shut down. Like, no stores are open. Restaurants are not open. You go home. You have lunch with your family. Yes. You take a rest. You take a siesta, right? You you take a nap. And then you go back to work for a few more hours. And then you gather as a family and have a nice dinner. And maybe it goes yes. the night. But it's such a different energy around working, right? To take two hours off in the middle of the day. Or, you know, when I've traveled in Europe and usually I'm like, I'm trying to fit in everything I can fit in in two weeks. Like, and I saved all my vacation days for a whole year and I didn't take time off so I could do this for two weeks, right? Like it's this really intense thing. And you're talking to these people and they're like, oh, I'm on holiday for a month or I'm taking a three month (laughs) sabbatical. And you're like, what? You know, and and it's it's normal. Yeah. Did you ever find, um, because I would find it would take, let's say I take a, you know, go abroad for two weeks or whatever. It would take half Mm -hmm. that time for me to calm down and stop checking Mm -hmm. stuff, you know? And then um, another interesting thing is um, I was actually reaching out to, uh, for a coach, a career coach at the time. And this was 2018. So this is around the second bout. This was the second bout of burnout. And um was headed to Bali. But right before that, we had a she had a, a discovery call, sales call with me or whatever. And she was trying to understand, you know, if I was an p- appropriate fit for her program. And she was like, well, actually, and I don't know if it was like because I, you know, at the time wasn't like a C, C level or director type level of person or had that type of role or had maybe that income. But one of the things she suggestions that she had, because I told her like I was looking into therapy and I'll be starting at the beginning of 2019 again. And I mentioned how like I would go on vacation because I was like, I would get reprieves a little bit when I would go on vacation. And, but there was also a lot of guilt I had because for, and you, you experienced part of this too, when I started stepping away um, so when that, 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 with the first bout, like I said, I started releasing responsibilities, right? Um, because the thing is, it, I didn't even realize it just kind of happened by default. You know, as life continues, you have all these interests or, you know, you have these communities or you're doing volunteering thing. And I, I didn't realize I kept adding, mm. but I was, wasn't subtracting. There's only so much time and energy in a day, right? And so um, at the time I was doing like equity, like, you know, doing equity work, combining like equity and data, health equity and data. And I absolutely loved it and did it. But, you know, truth be told, it was taking a lot of time. Right. And I didn't want to step back from it. But it's just like I am drowning in plain Mm -hmm. sight, you know, and I literally feel like, you know, I remember 
driving home and um, just thinking like the, the the physical like heart palpitations and stuff I was having. And I was like, God, OK, I promise I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back, you know, just give me a little bit more time. Um, but I remember talking to um, one of the uh, the sponsor of this program in his office. And um, I was just tell I had been telling them probably for six months that I was going to step back. You know, and they're like, Dread, you love this work. You know, you're so passionate about it. Da, 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 da. I was like, that's not it. It's not an esteem thing. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I'm trying to live. I'm like, I've cut off all my freaking hair, but I think I cussed. But um, that year I had gained 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like I had cut my hair from shorter than this to bald mm-hmm. head, you know, basically. Because it was like, that's one less thing for mm-hmm. me to do. Right. <laughs> and I end up like, you know, crying in this office. I'm like, what is this? Oh. <laughs> ever. Um, but then and I was having to tell this woman, I'm like, there's, I have so much mm. guilt about taking, like stepping away and taking care of myself, even though I knew I was drowning. Right. And, um, her suggestion was, you know, in, you know, when I re-engage in therapy to actually, you know, um, see if that therapist can support me in figuring out that area and just how helpful that was mm. because yeah, it's just amazing how much guilt is associated with I had was putting my own own mask on or whatever. And that was the the last thing was that she was just like the fact that she's like, you know, the root is not being resolved because that vacation is temporary. You're coming back to the situation or you're coming back to that same mindset or we can jump from job to job or we can jump from industry to industry. But if we're not dealing with the root to the root of the root of the root and, you know, and that for me, that went from um, my time. That went from my time to my esteem to my work because it's like, wait a minute, who the, it's my being, not my, what I do that gives me value. And the fact that I associated that with, you know, was a part of the, yes. was a part of that toxic mindset. Yeah. I mean, you just touched on so much there, right? I think so many people operate in a space of living for the next vacation, right? They, you know, planning yeah. a vacation, you're on the vacation. And, you know, as you said, mm-hmm. sometimes you, you got a few days, if you have a week, you have a few days where you actually feel calm and relaxed and then you get back and then yeah. you're planning the next vacation. And it's not like it's bad to travel. Travel is wonderful. Right. And if you're living for the next vacation, mm-hmm. if that's your life, uh, the, it may be a sign of burnout. I know yeah. another sign for me is feeling mm-hmm. irritated that people are asking me to do things that are my job. Oh, they are your job. Right, like, they are. Like, it's like, you know what, dear? Could you please? And I'm like, huh, why are you asking me to do that? And it's like, well, that's that girl, that that's your job. That's that's in the job description. You know? And it's like if people ask you to do something outside of the scope of your job, you have it makes sense that you might be like, hey, hey, right? But people are asking you to do your job, and you're like, huh, the nerve. Can you believe they asked me to do this? And it's like, well. You did sign that job contract, right? Like, that's a sign of like, hmm, you may be burned out. <laughs> that may be a, a sign. You know, I know for me, Hilarious. like with my last job, I was getting burned out. And my body would physically like, like be like, no. Like, it was like my body was just saying, no, 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 no. We don't want to do this. No, 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 no. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was a sign, right? My body was giving me signs. I would very much compartmentalize. Like when I was done on the weekends, I was like, I wouldn't check email. And I was like, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And then it's like Monday. I'm like, (laughs) you know, it's like these are, Oh, it didn't start Sunday night. Right. It didn't start Sunday night. I didn't check my email. So I didn't do that. (laughs) 
I I thankfully ha- no I meant your yeah, body. Well, you're right. You know, it probably did start Sunday night. Start Sunday night with the Sunday scaries and the like gearing up and the getting ready and the all this stuff. So you know, mm. all of these signs. And I also so appreciate you mentioning the guilt because I really do think that is something that so many of us, I think women in particular, women of color in particular struggle with, right? And at our jobs, right? I think often, you know, women are the ones working the hardest. Women of color are the ones working the hardest and expected to just do more and more and more and take on core things to your work and then also run the diversity committee and then also do this and then also mentor other people who are younger than you, who are people of color, right? There's all these things. And then there's, I care about my community and I want to do this equity work and I want to, or I'm at my church. And, you know, I think church has a particular dynamic where saying no is like, it's framed as, were you saying no to the Lord? (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) woo, talk about guilt trip. Right. And so there's all of this pressure. And I think it's connected to a sense of my worth is in my doing versus my being, as you said. My worth is in my productivity. Mm -hmm. My worth is in people approving of me. And that can sort of drive us to fill our plates, overfill our schedules. I can handle it. I'll I'll just keep I'll yep. keep doing it. I'll keep adding. I'll ma- I'll make it work even if we're exhausted and frustrated and resentful at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what as a I'm glad you brought that up about like um particular women women of color. So two things. Are you familiar with uh Dr. Joy Le- is it DeGrooge? Oh, the Grooge. I know the name. Woo! Post-traumatic slave yes, syndrome. Yes, De- so, yeah, De- yeah. De- De- Yes, yes. D e g u g r u y. But yeah, post-traumatic slave syndrome, and just like you know, I don't know. That's a long conversation. <laughs> but they're just the ramifications mm-hmm. of being descendants of people that were basically you know labored their whole lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and then for for what? And then, or, you know, the impacts, the generational impact of that, right? And then, like, in the work, you know, so there's that. And then also, like, Dr. Kamara Jones, um, she has all these great allegories with great regards to, like, health Mm. equity. Um, But she also, and and health equity and then, like, racism. But she defines racism as a system not an individual, mm-hmm. right? And that that system is institutional, is structural, is all of these things. But what really resonated to me, she came to our hospital uh, one time and gave a talk a couple of, when I was doing my equity work, uh, so fangirled or whatever um, over her. But um, it was so interesting sitting in that room, it, you know, it was maybe 200 of us and it wasn't many people of color, but just like the way that she was able to tell allegories about like how like racism might show up for the impacted as well mm. as the other. But what stood out to me, what I realized is how much I internalized mm. that. And so what my, I guess my whole point is realizing like when we're dealing with these things, I think the first thing is to really like get, like you said, get present in your body mm. because I, what's the book say? The body keeps the score, mm. right? Uh, things register with us, but if we're doing and we're living by default all the time, we're not even realizing that, you know, that we have this pain in the pit of our stomach or that our side hurts, but it ha- it's an association when something happens. But if we even would just pay attention, I think, a little more and get more present in our body, you know, 
a sign yes. to become more apparent yes. kind of sooner. I mean, it makes me think of all of the poor health outcomes for Black women mm-hmm. in particular and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the stories that I think many of us have heard. I know I have, you know, friends and family who put off the exam, put off the appointment, put off the mammogram, put off the pap smear because they were so busy caring for everyone else. And probably also because of, you know, the systemic trauma that so many Black people, Black women have experienced in the medical system. And so it doesn't feel like a comfortable or safe space. And, you know, we could, there's this systemic issues, right, which are barriers to accessing care. You know, do you have health insurance? Do you have a doctor you trust? Do you feel comfortable, right? And then there's also the, I got to take care of everybody else first. And so I, you know, I did my pelvic exam. I knew there was something wrong because I hadn't got my period in months and months and months. You know, I'm not talking about myself. No, not myself. Not myself. Not me. There's like, I'm thinking of a, a former coworker and, you know, she had put off her exam and then she got it and she had cancer and it was rapid and she passed. Right. And, you know, and so, and these are stories that I don't think are uncommon. They're heartbreaking, but it's like part of, I think your recommendation is like, can you slow down enough to create enough space to just notice like what is happening in your body? Because we do carry stress in our body and our body gives us signs, starts off with little signs. Hey, you need to rest. Hey, you need to eat. Hey, this food gives you a stomach ache every time you eat it. Hey, blah, 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 you know, little things. And then the signs get bigger, right? And, you know, there are these serious and heartbreaking consequences to not listening. And I think we live in a we live in a world that says, don't listen to your body, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. I think many mm-hmm. black women have been socialized to be strong and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. Yes. And it really has dire consequences. So, you know, I think that is something. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that is something else because um, I believe, I believe, yeah, I believe I told you. So like when the the, the 2018 going into 2019, talked to the coach and she was just like, no, you can't do the course. You need to, you know, do whatever. That was also the time that I end up, you know, kind of crying. And when I was, you know, the whole guilt thing. So I went to, went to Bali or whatever and um, there we were doing like Ayurveda or whatever. And I was mid forties at the time. And I just happened to mention like not having my cycle for a while, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, no more mm. cramp, whatever. And I thought I was going through the change of life. But right before I left to go to Bali, I realized that I went to my PCP and, you know, they always ask you that. And I was like, oh, I had the nine months or whatever. And she's like, what? Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, so I'm going through the change of life or whatever. And she was like, um, I think you're, too, you know, like, don't crack. But she knew how mm. old I was for real. <laughs> she thought it was, you know, if you look at me at the time, she would have thought I was a little bit younger. Um, but at any rate, I knew my goal when I started the next year was to, you know, start looking at the root cause of that. Because I, I didn't realize until um, actually the, the doctor didn't mention, she, she let me know it was a problem. And that I probably want to get that checked out. When it was the discussion that we're having in Bali, you know, it was a holistic health and wellness thing. I realized in that discussion that, oh, if you're not shedding and you're supposed to be shedding, Mm. that's actually a good breeding ground for toxins Mm. to build up and all of that, you know, things like cancer to show up. 
bottom line, big picture, it wasn't until April of the next year that I was really able to start going to my appointments because I had started like just canceling. It's like, I don't have the mm-hmm. bandwidth, you know, mm-hmm. to think about it, right? I was freaking losing my sight, mm-hmm. right? Because I was losing my um, peripheral vision. Like if I were to look at the, mm-hmm. the, the test, like they were like mm-hmm. black up here. I didn't even realize this mm-hmm. was happening. What was happening was basically I had a pituitary tumor that was growing. The pituitary is like right at the intersection, like behind your nose and your eyes. So it was growing up mm. in the optic nerve, you know, or whatever. Or, and the thing about that is when I, I was petrified, that happened, of course, when I realized what was going on. But I was just like, no one, again, no one, <laughs> why? Mm. You know, and that's up there dealing with like your yeah. hypothalamus. It's up in that area. So I don't know if that was part of the reason why overwhelm was mm. so so prevalent and so heightened for me. And, um, you know, I'm a, I don't know if you noticed just how I had just pulled away from mm-hmm. everything and everybody mm-hmm. for like, a, it's just like, I do not have the company. Yeah. I can't take anything else. But the th- just the fact that not paying attention, like I could have lost my sight. And the thing is I had to advocate mm-hmm. my, for myself during that time with the doctors because it's like, oh, we can just do a hysterectomy or whatever. Cause I have fibrous. And I was just like, but you're not telling right. me why. Right. You know, and then it's like, okay, you can go see an endocrinologist, go to the endocrinologist. Oh, you only have one hormone that's a little off uh, or whatever. We can give you hormones. And I was like, yeah, okay, but mm-hmm. you're not telling me why. So she's like, okay, let's do an MRI. Wow. And then that's when they saw wow. that because it's not something that you really mm-hmm. see unless you get an MRI. But yeah, paying attention is like pivotal. Mm-hmm. Paying attention, even to how you're breathing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's a sign. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so it's the gravity of this, I think, is really what we're touching on. Right. That Mm. so often we feel like I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And I think what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is maybe you won't be. And it's so important for everybody listening to take care of yourself. Right. To give yourself the space to listen to your body. And some of that involves creating space. And it sounds like, you know, one of the things that you might recommend and that you did and, you know, you can share more about this is clear starting to clear stuff off your schedule. Right. Can you get out of some of those work meetings? Right. You may feel guilty. That's okay, Right. Can you take a break from some of those volunteer programs or activities that you're doing? Again, you may feel guilty. That's okay, right? But mm-hmm. how do you start to even create the space to tune in and listen to your body and then be able to go to the appointment, to take care of yourself, to do what you need to do to make sure that your health is on track? Yeah, I would say, yeah, three things. Those from like getting started. Probably one is, again, just like a time perspective. You know, whether you have like Google Calendar or, or even posts, like see what you got going on. Really look at how you spend mm-hmm. your time and how long it takes to get things done. Because I remember when I, at my office, I ended up using post-its on the wall or whatever, and just looked at all the things that were in progress. And I, on my, each post-it, I would put how long I think it would take some, to get something done. And I remember wanting to make the numbers mm-hmm. smaller. But I'm like, this is really what it takes. And I was embarrassed mm-hmm. to put this stuff on my wall. Like I was embarrassed to show it to me. You know, or whatever. But there's something about like what, what um, I remember Reverend Stacy used to say, you can't fix what you can't mm. face. And it's just something about getting stuff out of our head, I believe, and seeing it, you know, that is um, paramount. Like you said, like listening to your body. 
giving yourself space. And then also, I think a, a big thing in getting started is just, you know, beginning to have the thoughts that can turn into beliefs that something else is possible, that it doesn't have to be this way, you know, and whether that's supported by listening to other people that have come through or whatever. But it's like we have, in my, in my opinion, it's like we have to believe that something is potentially possible mm. a lot of times before we start moving in that direction. Yeah, I love that. So actually taking stock of your time, taking an inventory of your time, of how you're spending your time, being honest with yourself about how much time things mm-hmm. take. I think most of us want mm-hmm. to believe that things take much less time than they do. Usually things take double the time that we think it's going to take and that's normal. Mm-hmm. So being honest mm-hmm. about that, listening to your body, which mm-hmm. we've talked about. Um, and then, oh shoot, I just, <laughs> I just lost the third one that you said. Help me out. Help me out. I don't remember. I'm just talking. (laughs) I don't know. What did I just say? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, y'all can reverse rewind it. Get to the point. But I, you know, I think, oh, I, I think sort of knowing that it's, that's okay to not sort of constantly be doing. I think one of the things that was coming up for me is, Believe, oh, believe. Or, you're right, you're right, you're right. Believe, believe that it's something different is possible. <laughs> believe that something different is possible. Like the thought. Just the mustard seed. Yes. Just and the I mustard think that's seed. so powerful. Like one of the things is that one of the beliefs that I'm shifting is the fact that you mm. have to work hard and long to be successful. I'm really letting go of that. Like, what if it could be easy? What if, what if my impact in the world could be easy. And I think also remembering, and you touched on this earlier, that I think in so many ways, the biggest impact we have is how we be more than what we do, Mm. right? If I think about the clients I work with or the, Mm. you know, the coaching programs, the the people who are in my coaching programs, they're probably not going to say, well, Adia did this for me and this for me and this for me and this. They're going to say, when I was in her Mm. presence, I felt worthy or I felt Mm. this or I felt held or I felt seen. And that was transformative for me. Right. I even think about you saying, you know, you withdrew for that year. And yes, Chandra withdrew for a year. But I think the piece is I didn't take it personally. I don't know that I I don't know that any of our at least our mutual friends took it personally because I I was kind of like, okay, I don't know what's going on with Chandra, but like I didn't I didn't take it personally as in like why is it? I was just kind of like, okay. And I think part of it is my affection for you. My connection with you was never about what you did or did not do for me. It was always about who you be. It was always about the, what the, how nice it was, how wonderful it was to be in your presence. And so a year without being in your presence, it's like, yeah, like I missed you and and it would have been nice. And it was not, well, Chandra is not doing this for me. You know what I mean? And so I think we've got to remember that the people who truly love and care for you, they appreciate you so much more for who you be than what you do. And when you're in relationship yeah. where it's all about what you do for someone, that's worth examining. Mm. I mean, if it's a child, you know, <laughs> They're, you know, Mm. children need things done for them. But, you know, in general, like if the relationship is predicated Mm. on you doing, 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 and if you stop doing, there's a problem and they're not okay with that. 
that's a that's a relationship to reevaluate. You know what? As you're talking about that, thank you for sharing that from the um from my outsider outside in perspective. Because girl, when I tell you, I still what happened basically I didn't even realize I was withdrawing like that. All I knew is I couldn't take mm-hmm. anything else, right? And my pendulum swung all the way in the other direction. And so I'm slowly coming back, but even in re-engaging like in various communities, the dynamics are still a little different because a part of that is like, I realized that I'm introverted and that even though like I can be very um, engaging and outgoing, but I'm also very empathic and that Mm. takes a lot of energy from me. And so I didn't realize how much restorative time that I need. So like, you know, I can't always be available, but my point is I had so much guilt. And then it was just like, I I blew stuff up in my head Mm. as far as re-engaging with folks. So I still have a couple of other um, people I need to re-engage with, but it's like kind of, I'm doing it Mm -hmm. gingerly. It's not as bad as it was before because I just know how, extremely horrible it felt to be in that constant state of overwhelm for so long but like to look back and just realize like oh that's what I was doing it was just like I was if I think about Maslow hierarchy of need I was going back down to physiological mm-hmm. safety I was just trying to survive yeah you know yeah well I feel like we could talk I know we could t- talk for <laughs> hours and hours and hours <laughs> And I'm just grateful for you sharing so openly and honestly, and also sharing some strategies for those who are really resonating and feeling like I may be burned out. I may be struggling. Chandrea has shared some really useful strategies to start to reorient. And I'd also love for you to share how people can connect with you further. Um, If they're like, oh, I got to keep hearing what Chandrea has to say, or maybe even (laughs) would want to work with you. Like, how do they, how do people do that? How do they reach out to you? Um, I would say the easiest way at this point is Instagram. And I am at, I am Chandrea Brown. Um, I-A-M-C-H-A-N-D-R-E-A brown.com. So I'm building, um, I, you know, I'm building that out or whatever, but that's probably where you can find me um, best. But yeah, I'm looking forward to just to continue and to share because I know the biggest thing for me was just realize I was thinking I was the only one. And that's part of, like I said, just I can't keep a secret with regards to a good thing. It's just like, you know, there's another way. No, it's not you. There's, you know, we can do something different. And um, I think it's just like really important that we have compassion and grace and patience for ourselves and others as we figure this thing out because the environment and the society that we live in, that is the way to go. And it just takes time to unlearn mm-hmm. this stuff. But yeah. Oh yeah. So thank you so much. Thank for you. Me and, on your show. Um, I'm so official. <laughs> your uh, IG will be linked in the show notes um, so people can find it there. And we'd love to yeah. know what you think. So, you know, if you listen, take a screenshot, share it in your stories, tag Chandra and I, let us know what you think or let us know how you're shifting your relationship with burnout and your time and things yeah. like that. We'd love to hear it. Um, and we so appreciate you for listening as always. Thanks so much for being on the show. Bye. 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 Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. 
If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.